Amen. Amen. We're doing our series on uh, called Winning the Battle for Purity. We just started last week. And if you remember, uh, I made a strong kind of introduction to say we're not talking about not losing. We're definitely not talking about losing, but we're not talking about not losing. What I mean by that is that we're not just talking about the do's and the don'ts and, and how to stop certain behaviors. But what the Lord wants is for us to win the battle for purity. He wants us to score. And uh, we're not talking just about stopping certain behaviors. Specifically, the Lord wants to break off addictions from our life. And even more specifically, He wants to deal with uh, issues of sexual addiction. Sex sins, which are really some of the most destructive. But it's not just that we need to stop certain things or, you know, just, you know, uh, 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 you know, learn not to do certain things. What we need is to begin to go into this thing called purity. And so what we're going to be talking about, where we're going, is towards joyful intimacy. Because ultimately, sex is really about relationship. It's really about intimacy. See, the Lord wants you... To have joy. He wants you to experience pleasure with Him and with one another. And so, that's where we're headed. Towards wholeness in our relationships. So the Lord wants us to, to, to bring down demonic strongholds that are causing injustice. Like human trafficking and slavery. And things like that around the nations. But you cannot separate, separate Corporate or social justice from personal righteousness or integrity. They're inseparable. And so, right here, right now, we, we want God to use us mightily in the nations, but we've got to deal with stuff in our own lives. We're an epicenter for God to bring transformation in the world. And so, this series is really about us being effective in our ministry. It's about the calling of God on your life. It's about your relationships. It's about, it's about passing on a blessing instead of a curse to our kids. It's about justice instead of, uh, uh, you know, poverty and, and, uh, and oppression. But it begins with us embracing purity in all of that word means. I quoted Joshua 3, 5 last week, and I said, basically, Joshua was leading the, the, the people into the promised land, the Israelites in the promised land, and he says to the Israelites, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will work wonders, right? And that's what God is saying to our church. Not like, well, you better deal with this stuff in your life tomorrow or God's going to smite you and you're going to miss out. I don't mean like that at all. I mean like we've got to start dealing with this stuff now. We've got to sanctify ourselves, purify our lives, get consecrated, get set apart unto the Lord. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to be a process. It's going to, be, it's going to take a community. But the Lord is saying, I want to work wonders in you. I want to do mighty things in your life. I want to bring blessing to your, to your life. I want to use this church to bring, bring a, a life to this community and to the nation. See, our kids are going to be missionaries. We're raising up the next generation. The Lord has been telling us to prepare for increase and, and to walk in the confidence of people who influence nations. I mean, just this summer we sent a team to Thailand and, and uh, in a nation that is less than 1% uh, a Christian, they saw 30 people come to Jesus in like just a few weeks and 10 of them in the church being discipled. That is huge. That's significant spiritual breakthrough in that community for that short period of time. That's what's happening. That's how God is using us. I, mean, I could go on and on about how God is using us in powerful ways, but that's what this is really about. 
Amen? That we want God's best for our life. And so, like I said, we are not going to talk just about not losing, but about a strategy. In the next couple of weeks, or in the next few weeks, we're going to lay out an offensive strategy of how to go in and attack and win and score. We're also going to talk about a defensive strategy so that we can guard our lives from the attack of the enemy uh, and and from immorality and things like that, so that we can keep from losing and, and, and keep the enemy from scoring. But today, I want to talk to you about the key to victory. The key. The bottom line, if you will. The thing that if you don't have this, all the strategy and the wisdom. See, I'm going to lay out a strategy from the Word of God in the next few weeks that is sure. Absolutely sure. If you will do it, you will walk in freedom. It will release God's blessing in your life. But today I want to talk about the key to victory that if you don't get this, you won't get the rest. It's that crucial. Before Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist came on the scene, right? Dressed in camel's hair, leather belt, eating locusts and honey, usually portrayed in movies as crazy and weird. It's really too bad because he was so passionately committed to the Lord, so in love with Jesus and so committed to the mission of God on his life. He wore those clothes and he ate that food to make a statement with his life and his words against the religious, complacent, broken culture of his day. But he was preparing people's hearts for Jesus' coming so that when Jesus showed up, they would be ready to receive the Messiah, the Lord, the King. And so John's message was really simple, wasn't it? Most of you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near or at hand. I don't know about you. you thinking, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. You open up to Matthew, starting the Gospels. Let's go. Jesus is life. And you go, repent. What the heck is repent? Kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? I mean, from the very beginning, you're already confused. (laughs) And even those of you who have been raised in the church, there's kind of like, what's repentance? What are you supposed to do? How do you know if you've repented? There's just such a, it's such a kind of a cloud around that word. In fact, I was thinking it's actually worse than that. There's almost as if there's like years and years of just like religious concepts have just kind of folded over that word and hardened. It's almost like there's this shell, this hard and penetrable shell around this word called repent. And people are like, what does that mean? And I don't even know. And it just seems kind of confusing to us. And this today, I want to penetrate that shell. I want to break that shell off of that word. And I want us to understand that repentance is the key to victory. You know, Jesus... He shows up on the scene, and Jesus, I mean, come on, Jesus, it's Jesus, right? He's called the friend of sinners, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here's a guy, he doesn't wear camel's hair and stuff, he's relevant, right? Hanging out with people, speaking their language, telling them stories so they can really get the, the gospel about the kingdom, the good news, and, and, and uh, he hangs out with people and he eats with them, right? He's not, he's not, Jesus isn't eating locusts and honey, he's really hanging out with them, Getting into their world. And even Jesus stands up. His whole mission, Jesus says, I'm here to tell the poor about the good news. I'm, I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. Right? Jesus came healing people physically, setting them free, proclaiming forgiveness. I mean, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And you know what Jesus' primary message was? Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Well, there you go. That throws you a curveball. Right? 
So here's John the Baptist saying, you guys, we need to repent. Here's Jesus here to heal people, here to set them free. And he says, repent. Fast forward to the apostles. The first, uh, you know, the first message given by Peter on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. And what does Peter say? Repent. Oh boy, it just keeps popping up, doesn't it? I think they thought it was important. I think they thought it was really essential. See, is this word repentance, is it, is it just religious? Is it just this nice little thing we talk about at church, but it really has no significant value for my life? Like I walk out that door and I go, I don't have a clue what that guy was talking about. Is repentance just some archaic, irrelevant concept? Or could it be that the reason John the Baptist preached repent and the reason why Jesus preached repent and the reason why the apostles preached repent is because it is your invitation to life. It is the key to freedom and victory, purity and abundance and eternal life. See, this morning I want to break off that shell and I want to show you that repentance is the key to your victory. And I want to show you what repentance is and what it is not. And and, and convince our hearts that we must understand this and live this out. See, even in John the Baptist's day, if you'll read Matthew 3, you'll see that people didn't understand repentance. Why else would John the Baptist stand up and say, produce fruit In keeping with repentance. Why would he have to confront people and say produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Why? Because there was religious concepts even then regarding this concept of repentance. Even in those days there was something that we would I'll call false repentance and true repentance. And John the Baptist was making making it clear that there is such a thing as false repentance and you can miss it. But he made sure to preach, to tell people, repentance is your key to victory. Just for the sake of clarity, uh, let me say a couple more things t- before we get into like looking at an illustration of what is false and what is true repentance. Number one, I want to say this, that I'm speaking to those of you today who want freedom. You want God to change you. I'm sure there are at times people here who, you know, they put up a mask and a wall and act like everything's fine when on the inside it's not and they don't really want to be free and that's fine. But I don't assume that any of you are like that. Okay? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? There's some preachers who are like, ah, you got to repent. And it's kind of like the idea like, you know, in their mindset you're thinking to yourself, man, why is this guy talking to me like I don't want this? I'm not going to talk to you like you don't want purity. I'm not going to talk to you like you don't want freedom. In fact, I'm going to talk to those of you specifically. These are the, this is who I've got in my mind here. That you have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And you think to yourself, man, no, dude, no, I've repented a lot. Man, I do it all the time. And you're thinking to yourself, man, no, I really, I, no, I, really, I want to be free. I've tried. You don't understand, Dave. I just keep falling down. 
But I want to say something clear. So now you, now you know. I want to speak to you who want to be free. Like, like imagine you come to me and you say, Dave, like seriously, I got an issue. It's been for years. I've been trying. Really, honestly, help me. Help me. Right? And we're going to lay out principles for the next few weeks. But listen to what I'm going to say right now. This is not condemnation. But this is an invitation to life. That the reason why you are not free, the reason why there is bondage, is because you have not repented. No, 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 Dave. No, you don't understand. I have. You don't understand how hard I've tried. You don't understand how many times I've said I'm sorry. Listen, if you're not free, you haven't repented. I know that can be really hard to hear. But I want you to stick with me. I want you to understand that there is such a thing as false repentance and there is such a thing as true repentance. And if you will do what God simply says to do in His Word, you'll be free. There was that man, you guys ever heard this story where there was this guy who walked into a bar and he asked for a glass of water. And the bartender gave him a glass of water, and the guy threw the glass of water in the guy's face. Bartender said, whoa, what did you do that for? He said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I have a problem with throwing water in people's face. I'm, real, I'm sorry. He leaves, comes back the next day. Hi, hey, can I have a glass of water? Bartender says, no, you threw, you threw it in my face yesterday. No, really, I, I, prom- I won't do it. I promise. I promise I won't do it. Really, I promise. Okay, here you go. He gives him a glass of water, throws it in his face. Whoa! He's wiping the water off his face. What? You're crazy. Why are you throwing water in my face? I'm so sorry. I, I just can't help myself. I have an issue. I have a problem. The guy says, you look, don't come back here until you get that thing dealt with. Okay? Get out of here. The guy's gone for a couple of weeks. Comes back after a couple of weeks and uh, walks in and says, hey, bartender, you know, hey, can I have a glass of water? Bartender says, I don't think so. Look, I remember you. You threw water in my face last time. And the guy says, no, 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 really. I got help. I've been going to a psychiatrist. I've been going to a therapist. All right, the bartender thinks. Give him a chance. Gives him the water. The guy throws the water in the guy's face. What? Uh, I thought you said you got help. And he goes, yeah, no, now I don't feel guilty about it. See, a lot of us, that we treat the cross like that. Jesus didn't die so that you could sin, which is really just simply destructive to your own life, and feel better about it. The cross is not therapeutic. It's freedom. It's the cure. 1 Samuel 15. You remember that... uh, in this story, the, the king, the first king of Israel, Saul, is told by God to go on a mission. And we won't talk about the, uh, uh, well, anyways, he's told to destroy completely this group of people called the Amalekites. And like I said, we won't go into exactly why that is. seems kind of gruesome to us. But I mean, literally, God says just completely everything destroyed. Nothing left. Zero. Okay? Saul goes on this campaign And he kills everything except, he keeps the king, kind of like a trophy, 
<laughs> Look at me, I got the king. And he keeps, or he allows his men to keep the best of the stuff. God, in the text, it says God is grieved. And this is not the first time that Saul has disobeyed God. We have a pattern running through Saul's life here. Okay, a pattern. That might be a good word to think about. Okay, so we have a pattern in Saul's life. And God is grieved, and he sends Samuel to tell him, to confront him, really. Okay, and that's what the prophets do. They just, boom, get in your face a little bit, all right? And so Samuel shows up, and in verse 17, it says here in verse 17 of chapter 15, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. So that's his mission. Why did you not obey the Lord? He just confronts him straight up with his disobedience. Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 20, Saul says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. And brought back Agog, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle for plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice it to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination or witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. Verse 26, Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe. It tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. <clears throat> he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Verse 30, Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Saul, in this story, never repents. This is a perfect example of false repentance. Now, a lot of times, a lot of people, I mean, look at the story and think, man, that's just not really fair. This just doesn't seem really fair of God to do that to Saul. And a lot of us think, what? He didn't repent? It's right there, man. He said, I have sinned. Come on, isn't that repentance? And I'll be honest with you. The fact that you think that he repented... is a sign <laughs> that you got it all mixed up. He never really repented. You'll notice, <clears throat> let me just run through this really quick here. We could spend a lot of time, but you'll notice that first off in verse 17, he's got a deep insecurity in his life, doesn't he? He's small in his own eyes. He does not perceive himself as he really is. He does not see himself as God sees him. You'll notice that when confronted the first time, you have disobeyed God. What does he do? I did obey God. 
I did. He's so blinded. He's so confused about what obedience really is that he actually thinks that he did it, doesn't he? He's actually thinking, no, I did it. Why? Because he thinks the fact that he went on the mission is obedience. What are you talking about? I, I went. God said go, I went. Yeah, but God said completely destroy them. I did completely destroy them. You notice that? He said, I did. I, I went and I completely destroyed them. Really? You completely destroyed them? Yeah, except for Agog and, and, well, and then the men took the sheep. Do, do, do you see that he's like totally, it's like the mental gymnastics, you know? He's like throwing up the smoke screens. I did. See? Woo! See, I did it. Trying to do some like magic trick. He's, he's, he's got these excuses. He's got ways of minimizing his sin. I said, it wasn't that bad, you know, right? Just a little bit, a little bit of disobedience, a little bit, right? And he's just minimizing it, throwing up the smoke screens and po- pointing the mirrors and just, just deflecting his disobedience and trying to convince himself and now Samuel, no, I did, I did it, I did it. What else does he do? He blames the soldiers, right? The soldiers, now those guys, those guys over there, they took the sheep, right? They did it. They did it. What's another thing that he does? He throws a religious spin on it, doesn't he? No, no. See, so they took him. They took him because, because we're going to the sacrifice, the best, best for God. We, we got the best part for God, right? And, and we're going to sacrifice the best for, for God. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a sacrifice. It's a, it's a, you know. And so he puts this religious spin on it. Try to make it look better. Make it act like, no, no, I actually disobeyed because, you know, I heard God. You know, have you heard that one before? No, I mean, I just felt this peace. That's what, I asked God and I felt this peace about, about this thing that happens to be contrary to the Word of God. <laughs> you know? Uh, we put this religious spin on it. Samuel confronts him just straight up, doesn't he? Because God doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. He doesn't want your religious you know, mumbo-jumbo, you know, going through the motions, making it look like you're obeying and really making it look like you really care about God when you actually really care about yourself. God wants your obedience. And, he, and, and Samuel hits it really hard when he says it's rebellion. Rebellion like the sin of divination, like the sin of witchcraft. That really what you're after, this is what, and Samuel's just hitting him point blank. He says, what really what you're after is, is you are living life on your terms. You're doing things your way. That's called rebellion. And you say, no, no, I, I'm, I'm in control. And it, and it says that rebellion is a sin of, is, as, as the sin of divination or witchcraft. Witchcraft, you know, probably the best way to describe it is just control. In fact, oftentimes the, the spirit of new age and that spirit of witchcraft, very similar to the spirit of sexual sin. I mean, it's just blah, dirty. So, anyways, so this, uh, he... Uh, He's choosing to do things his own way. And you ever notice that um, a lot of times people think that repentance is, um, uh, we, we, like, we like to do these religious things, okay? Um, you know, we, we you know, uh, say, you know, say we're sorry, promise never to do it again, work really hard, you know, I'm going to give more, I'm going to give more time to the church, I'll give more money to the church. We don't try to do these religious things or penance, right? Penance is not repentance, I'll say 20 Hail Marys. I'll walk on my knees for a mile. You know? Oh, but Dave, we don't do that. We're, oh, we're, come on. We're four square, right? Oh, right. But, but how about beating yourself up? You know? Oh, you're bad, 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 bad. And just, or, you know, just feeling really depressed. Oh, oh, I'm a sinner. 
right? We think that's repentance. That's not repentance. Penance is not repentance. Beating yourself is not repentance. Okay? Putting this religious thing on it. Okay, oh yeah, I'm supposed to feel bad. Okay, yeah. Right? That's not repentance. Making excuses, not repentance. Blaming, not repentance. You say, but now, okay, but Dave, he confronts him. And in verse 24, he, he, he admits that he sinned. I have sinned. And he even admits that he sinned because he was afraid of what people thought. Right? This is an issue in Saul's life. He's deeply afraid of what other people think of him. So you think, oh, he admits his sin, Dave. Come on, come on, come on. He admits his sin. Admitting sin isn't repentance. It's a good start. Except for the fact that a lot of us only admit the outward thing that people see and never admit or what the Bible calls confess the root issue in our life. See, that's the thing. When you've been in the church for a while, you can say you repented and come up with this whole definition of what it is, and it's not biblical. And you can say, oh, I confess. The Bible says confess your sins. Faithful and just and forgive me, right? But you're not confessing because you're not confessing the root issue. And your motivation and the reason you're confessing isn't right. Let me show you. So Saul says, oh, I sinned, I sinned. It's because I have fear of man in my life. Come on now. Listen to him. Now I beg you, forgive my sin. Who's he asking to forgive? Samuel. At least three times in the passage he says, the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. See, he doesn't understand that this is an issue between him and God. He doesn't have a heart connection with God. He doesn't know God's love and his goodness. He's not walking in a covenant relationship, right, with the creator, with, his, with God. And so his relationship with God is through Samuel. And the only reason that he repents or admits his sin or Right? Feigns repentance or feigns confession is because he fears Samuel's anger at him. See, I gave in to the men with that whole animal issue. I gave in to them because I'm afraid of what they think of me. I, I fear their anger. This is what we often would call codependency. Right? Well, I've got to sleep with him. I've got to sleep with her because... They'll leave me, and I need them for my emotional support. Or they'll be angry at me. And so, he's, he, the reason why he compromised is actually the same reason he's feigning repentance. You see that? There, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. I'm afraid these men will not like me, so I'm going to give in to them. Oh, now I'm afraid that Samuel's mad at me, and he's going to reject me. Totally missing the point that God's talking to him. And feigns repentance. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Samuel. And misses it completely. See? It's not repentance, because it's not God's word. And it's not the heart repentance. And because really, the whole reason he's doing it is because he wants approval. You see this one more time in verse 30 when he says, I have sinned, please honor me before the elders. Please honor me. What does he really want? He doesn't want to look bad. Doesn't want to look bad. This 
is false repentance. Fear of man. Making excuses or blaming others. Not admitting the root issue. Only saying you're sorry because somebody caught you. I feel bad because I feel guilty. Right? I feel bad because I have shame. I feel bad because someone caught me. I feel bad because you're mad at me. But never getting to the root issue, to the heart issue of you and God. This is false repentance. And it will never bring freedom. Never. Let me talk to you a little bit about this issue of, of sexual addiction here. So you didn't get in to the addiction overnight, and you're not going to get out overnight. Most of us did not, you know, those of, us, those of you who are in debt or whatnot, uh, you didn't get into debt overnight either, did you? Years and years of certain choices and patterns and whatnot dug the, di- the ditch deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're not going to get out of debt overnight either. By the miraculous grace of God, I mean, he's going to do some great things in you. But, I mean, if God drops a million dollars on a guy... Uh, tomorrow, I know a lot of you are like, oh, I'm hoping for the lottery. Yeah, yeah, you know most of the people who win the lottery go right back into, go, bank, they actually go bankrupt, most of them, like within a short period of time. Why? Because, man, I don't care how much money you throw at a foolish person, it's all about the heart. It's the same thing with sexual sin. You can, a lot of times people who are addicted, they'll change addictions to hide it or to cover up the shame issues in their life. There's usually a lot of cross addictions because it's really not about the sex issues, is it? It's about living in a false reality. It's about avoiding relationship. It's about not taking responsibility. It's about control. It's about coping with the pain, medicating the pain that's in my life. But a lot of times these addictions run really deep. And like I said, it didn't happen overnight. First of all, we have this very broken culture of ours, don't we? Where, where I said last week, where people are being sexualized or seeing images, whether it be on the internet or on t- in TV, early, early on in their, in their life. I told you that probably by the time I was five, I saw pornographic images. But also, it wasn't just that. See, R-rated movies are basically like pre-porn. I mean, the R-rated movies with bad things in them. And... They basically, some of you know this, and some of you are still living in a fantasy world, but basically it's completely fake. If you're a single guy or a single girl, that's just like, it's just not reality, okay? <laughs> the stuff that they have, I mean, seriously, Hollywood portrays, you know, like you got to be, I don't, I don't even want to go into anything, but anyways, it, they, it's like, they, this is a fantasy thing that they're just trying to create, like this is what it's like, and this is the way it has to happen. So then you get married, and it does, it's just not really like that, and uh, you feel like something's wrong with you or whatever. But not only that, is see, if you're living in a fantasy world, you're detaching yourself from, from uh, reality. Okay? Pornography, fantasy, masturbation, it will numb you, will numb you, deaden you to the pleasures of knowing God and to the pleasures of, uh, well, relational pleasures, but even more, even more specifically, to, to actually what sex was created for. And so, you know, some of you are thinking, no, I'll get married and everything will be fine. No, it won't. Because you're addicted. And because years of living in a fantasy world will not end when you get married. You will take that fantasy world into your marriage and continue to operate on this fantasy world. And when you don't get your needs met 
And when basically you've already deadened your soul and you've deadened your physical body to real pleasure, you've got to go back to the drug. So our culture's broken. Number two, like I said, that you, you, you create these patterns, these rituals in your life. And a lot of times people who are really deeply addicted, it starts when they're really young. And just over time, it just gets more and more and more and more intense. You actually end up getting these con- like, like uh, super highways in your mind, just patterns of thought. So like, like you have a bad day at the office, you literally like, you, a lot of times people who are addicted, they don't even realize that you have like a ritual, you have like a pattern. Because it's, it's, it's not like, uh, uh, mo- you know, most of the time you just need to kind of like throw that open for an addict and realize like, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing what I was doing. A lot of times we have these, these mechanisms, these, in a sense, coping or defense mechanisms or these ways that I have a bad day at work, somebody was mad at me, I argued with my wife, whatever, and we just go right to the addiction. And it's like this habitual ritual pattern and we don't even think about it. Why? Because we're a slave. Because it's just robotic. This is what I do, right? That's, so that, that becomes a real deeply ingrained addiction, part of the addiction. Also, a lot of times, there's issues of fatherlessness or abuse that I talked about. See, what happens when we've been abused, or even neglected for that matter, the issue of fatherlessness, it leaves this emotional wound in our heart that you may not see on the outside, kind of like a torn ACL, did I say that right? You know, like those injuries that these football players will have, you don't see it. And they, they can actually, a, 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 a football player or a track star, they, you can actually like kind of heal from it a little bit to like walk around and nobody could tell that you have this massive injury in your, in your leg, and yet you wouldn't be able to compete. There's a lot of people walking around wounded and they don't even realize it. In fact, we've created this web of denial. A lot of times minimize. A lot of times people who have been abused don't even realize they've been abused. No, no, I've never been abused. And then you start talking with them and you find out, oh, whoa. Uh, that's worse than you thought, you know? And it's not to say that, that you can't get whole. We'll talk about that, of course. It's to say that that's a reality. Fatherlessness, growing up in a legalistic, controlling home without affection. These types of things are deeper wounds, right? So we have, we have these, these wounds from our dysfunctional family networks. Most of the time, sexual addictions and other addictions really have to do with dysfunctional, broken family systems more than they have to do with, oh, I just gave in a temptation. Now, why, do I, why am I talking about this? Because this isn't just about, you know, we got some temptation out there and you just need to like not look at it and just don't go on the internet, man. We're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about like why we do it. Deep, deep stuff here. Also, um, I've never met somebody who was addicted, and I've talked to other counselors too, who was not offended at God, who was not angry at God. I, I usually laugh. I shouldn't, when people say, yeah, I have these addictions, I need help, blah, 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 and then, uh, I don't laugh at that point, <laughs> sorry, and then they say, they say, and I really have an issue with authority, I go, <laughs> uh, of course, they, like, they, like they're just saying it like matter of fact, they don't realize, they just told me what the problem was, see, a lot of times because of the father issues in their life, they've now coping with it in other ways, and they're deeply have rebelled against authority in their life and rebelled against God and, and think he's the problem. Right? See, false repentance is, God, you're not doing something that you should. I, 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 I repented. I did it. And you didn't. And so, there's, and especially Christians, deep disappointment with God, deep anger at God, oftentimes related to wrong concepts of who God is and because of their fathers. 
So we've got this whole system of thinking and this whole messed up emotions that we're trying to cope and, and, and do something to deal with the pain in my life and the empty feelings I have in my life because of my family systems. And we have these dysfunctional ways of relating to each other, what we call codependency. And we have this broken culture that just says, hey, this is what sex really is when it really isn't. And this is like this false reality. We have all this stuff over years of our life and now we're in bondage. And then I'm going to come up here and say, you just need to repent. And you're like, what? I just need a what? <laughs> you tell me what? Now, when I say you need to repent, I don't mean that, like, like I said, oh, you just need to stop looking at that, mister, you know, and if you, would just, if you would just, you know, cry or something, then you wouldn't do it again. Now, we're not talking about that. You, you didn't get into this thing overnight, and you're not getting it out of it overnight. It's like as if we're at a fork in the road. Right? And you've gone years to get into this spot that you're in right now. And when you're at a fork in the road, and you can choose to continue to make excuses and blame and say it's because of my past, and but I had this, and I had this problem, and I had that problem. You can continue to weave that web of deception. Right? You can continue to say, you know, uh, you know act like you're trying and, and act like, you know, I'm going to, I went, I, hey man, I went to the men's group, right? Like Saul said, I, hey, I went to, I fought the Amalekites. I did it once. I went to the men's group one time. It didn't help, right? You know, or, you know, hey, I'm going. Will you ever confess anything? No. Right? It's that halfway will be, you can continue to go down that path. And you'll continue to get hardened and deadened and head towards that destruction. Or you can choose today to repent. And you'll start on a path towards healing and freedom and transformation. How do you know if you repented? Because there'll be fruit. There'll be fruit. Will you, will you mess up? Yeah. Praise God for His grace. Amen. Will you fall short, relapse? Yeah. Yeah, because this is a deep issue. But... Just because it's a process to get out, like it is a process that you got in, it ultimately comes down to a choice. So here's the deal. Ultimately, you made a choice. No matter if you were abused or had father issues or whatever the issue is, you made a choice. You are making a choice right now to medicate that pain or to fill that void that only God can fill. See, if you are, are stuck in that, you're choosing it. I, I know. Let me just say that, that again. If you're stuck in that, if there's bondage there, it's because you're choosing to stay there. It's as if the, I just lay the cure out for you. Here, hey, here you go. All right, you come to me. I've got this sickness. Oh, I got the perfect thing for you. Here you go. All right, take these pills. Whatever, okay? And... Uh, and, and it's like you, you say, no, no, that's not my problem. I mean, don't you just love that, right? Now, you're, you're sick, you're coming to a professional for help, and then, and then and the professional says, oh, just take these pills. Just take this repentance pill, you know? Now, let this thing cut you deep. And you go, no, that's not really my problem. I already did that. And then you come back to that professional and say, I don't know why. Right? That's always the phrase. I don't know why. God hasn't set me free yet. I don't know why. I'm still struggling. Really? You don't know why? I know why. Here, take this pill. 
<laughs> right? You're still on this path. So you got in this mess because you were running your life, making your choices, doing things your way. You got into this mess because believing lies about God. Because you have not submitted to God's authority and believed His love for your life. That's why you're in this mess. And it's going to take you shifting your life into God's life. To die to yourself and to let Him be the leader of your life and start on a path, a journey that's going to take you through healing and freedom. And I don't care how you keep coming. I have people that, you know, let's say two guys that come to me and one guy, I mean, man... Oh, I do the counseling thing, and I'm coming to meet with Dave, and I'm. But every time, I don't know why, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm still bound. I don't know why, and I'm telling you, oh, you just need to do this, dude. Come on, and I don't mean just do this because like it's easy. I just mean, hey, like, do this. This is what the Bible says. Do it. Okay, come back. Did you do it? No. There's no repentance in this person's heart. I mean, I know they're going around the same mountain. Okay, take another guy. Okay, this is what the Bible says. Right? We work through this. And they, it cuts them to the heart. They repent. They start growing. Do they still mess up? Yeah. See, if you're legalistic and you look on the outside of these two people, you'll just think, oh, they're just both the same. Right? Oh, they're just the same. They're both, they, both, they both mess up. See, that's not how God looks at you. God's not looking at you like, oh, yeah, you did it again. I'm going to beat you up. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about how to break off shame in our life. But what I'm saying is, there can be two guys, and on the outside, they're still falling down. And I'll look at one guy and say, you've never repented. I'll look at the other guy and say, hey, you're growing. You're, there's fruit. You can tell the difference when you walk with them over time. You can tell which path they are on. And you choose your path by making a decision right now which path you're going to walk on. Are you going to repent? So let me talk to you really briefly about what that repentance is. See, if I say to you, turn with me to Psalm 51, just go over a few chapters to Psalm 51. If I say to you, let's say you're just sitting in your office one day and you, um, and you are, uh, you're just, you're kind of tired of your job, you lost your motivation, you know, you feel like, man, I should be making more money and they don't really treat me very good, and you know what I'm saying? You, you ever been there, you just kind of lose that, you lose that edge or whatever, and somebody walks in your office and says, hey, guess what? You get a promotion today. Ah, new job, new responsibilities, promotion, higher pay, new office with a window. Woo, all right. Yeah, praise God. You don't deserve it. You know you don't deserve it. You know you don't deserve it because, man, you've been like bad attitude. You've been, you haven't been being disciplined and motivating your job. But, hey, you've been given the promotion. See, that's called the grace of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, he's saying, dude, you just got a promotion. The kingdom's come. Grace has been poured out. Jesus already died. He loves you. He, he paid for it. You're free. You're given everything that you need. All right, here you go. Here's your promotion. Now repent. You got to get from your old office to your new office. You got to pack up your stuff. You got to move to the new office. You got to begin to think differently. You've got to relearn some things. Right? Stop the bad attitude. Stop the lack of motivation because now you got a, you got a promotion. See, repentance is a response to the grace of God, not a prerequisite. We're not talking about repenting so that you can earn something from God. We're talking about responding to God. He goes, here's the grace. Here's the promotion. Why are you acting like before? Why are you thinking like before? 
right? Why are you doing what you used to do? Come on, step into it. And that's what repentance is, stepping into the reality of God. It's aligning ourselves with that reality. And there are three components to this. Mental, emotional, and volitional. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, repentance means change of thinking, and then that's it. No. If it was just a change of thinking, then why would John the Baptist say, produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Right? It's mental, emotional, and volitional. You see this in Psalm 51. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Then covers it up, right? The web of deception. Kills a man. Makes excuses for it and all that stuff. And then who, what happens? Nathan confronts him. Just like Samuel confronted Saul. Both had a prophet confronting them. But they responded differently. Right? Nathan confronts him with the sin. David repents. And he prays this Psalm 51 prayer. I'm just going to start in verse 3. And he says, For I know my transgressions. Do you know what transgression means? It means rebellion. God, I know that I've rebelled. I have broken your standards. is isn't like, oh yeah, I made a mistake. No, I rebelled. Then he says, And my sin is always before you. Listen to this. Against you and you only have I sinned. Now, honestly, if I was like Bathsheba and Uriah, I'd be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You and you only Look at me over here, right? But what does David do? He knows what this is really about. God, I have rebelled against you. That's what he's got there. And done evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. What's he saying? You're right and I'm wrong. Your righteous judgments are true. Is he offended at God? Is he angry at God? No. Is that a man trying to say, Oh, I'm sorry, God. How come I still have to face the consequences? No. He's saying, You're absolutely right. Whatever you say, God, is right. Whatever you judge is right. Lord, I mean, if I deserve hell, I deserve hell. That's what he's saying. Now, of course, it doesn't end there. Amen? Jesus died on the cross. David's crying out for mercy. He gets mercy. But do you see what I'm saying? He says, Whatever you say absolutely right and i am the one who has rebelled and i am the one who has sinned against you you see that this is true repentance truly i um we won't go into all that okay mental repentance is mental it's the decision in your mind that when you come to a place of saying it's been my choice i did not believe god i've rejected his love I've chosen to live my way and cope with the pain in my life my way, the way I thought that I should. And it's coming to a place, what David says, you're right, I'm wrong. And it's taking ownership and responsibility. And it's a change in our thinking that says, God, you are good and you are true and you are loving. And this we hate. Oh, we just hate this. And it confronts the real issue behind our addictions and things like that. It confronts the pride and it confronts the thought that I'm right and I'm going to do things my way. Emotional. See, some people will, again, you'll just say you're sorry because someone caught you. It's not repentance. But other times, there, there's, there's this, oh my goodness, I could get caught. Or, for example, you know, oh, this could, this could ruin my ministry. Oh, this could ruin my marriage. 
And those are, those are realities, okay? That's like, hey, I shouldn't run across the freeway because I'll get smacked upside the head by a car going 70 miles an hour. Or if you're Tom Ward, no, I'm joking. <laughs> You'll be driving faster. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, there is simple realities that make it, oh, wake up. You know what I'm saying? Woo, okay, I'm playing with fire here. And that would be simply the fear of consequences. Okay? The fear of consequences. The first one is the fear of man. Oh, I'm so sorry. And that's just fake. I'm sorry. You caught me. I feel bad. The next one is the fear of consequences. Oh, man, whoo, I better deal with this because I've, I, 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 you know, God has a calling on my life. Yeah, and you should deal with that. That is, hey, that's a real deal. The next one, it's a little bit deeper, though, isn't it? Wow, I'm hurting people. People have value before God. I mean, there's people in sex slavery. Oh, man, this is serious stuff here. I don't want to hurt my wife. I don't want to hurt my kids. And, 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 and the gravity of that begins to sink in. Do you see how that's emotional? Like, whoa. I have hurt somebody. See, it's one thing to know you've hurt somebody. It's another thing to feel that hurt. I remember there, uh, there was the times that my wife and I were uh, just over the years maybe had some water under the bridge and some, some issues. And I, I, I could, I could, we, were, we were kind of struggling to get that breakthrough of intimacy and friendship. And, and I, you know, there was disappointment on both sides. You know? I, was, I was hurt and angry, and there was some hurt and anger with her. And, but we were trying to work it through. So it was one of those seasons where you get really like straight up with each other. And it's like, ooh, that hurts. But then it usually produces life if you're loving each other, okay? And I remember one time I'm saying something that really hurts and just being straight up with her. And then she begins to get real straight up with me, like real vulnerable. And she just says, well, you know, and we've been married probably like by this time, like five, at least five years, right? And she just says something that like, it's just probably something I wasn't doing. I think, you know, uh, I won't go into all the details, but it's just, I, I, just stuff I wasn't, you know, doing my part as a man, love wife as Christ, love the church. She said, and that hurts me. It doesn't make me feel valued, right? I mean, she starts crying, okay? And I was, it just hit me like, here's the person that I love. I want to do these things. I, I want to lift her up and affirm and build her up and show her all the affection that she needs and, and serve her and everything, and I'm not. And it wasn't like, oh, no, you know, I'm in trouble or she's mad at me or anything like that. It was like, it got me. Like, it really got me. Like, oh, ouch. Like, and I felt her hurt, and I felt her pain. Like, that's, that's beginning. Now, okay, now we're getting closer to repentance here, because it, it hit me. Okay? Where you feel the other person's hurt. That's really good, too. Okay? That's really good. Hey, fear consequences, and, 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 and really value other people and begin to hurt. But here's the deal. When I began to address that issue, and this is just a relational issue between my wife and I, and there was that hurt there. I realized that as I tried to do the things that she wanted, I found myself up against a wall of my own hurt and disappointment. Right? Got to fight for my rights. You know? Well, phew, I'm not going to do that because she doesn't do that. Well, I mean, hey, she's got, you know, I do, I'm doing my part. She's not doing her part. Right? You're reasoning and arguing with God. So I'm praying. I'm praying. God, I want you to, I want you to, come on, I want to break through my marriage. Lord, just come on, do it, Lord. Change her. Change her, Lord. Come on, change her, right? Well, what does Jesus do? She's not the problem, is she, Dave? Who's the problem? Me? And all of a sudden, I start crying. Change me, change me, change me, God. Do it in me, change me. And all of a sudden, I begin to, to encounter what is the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. It's not the terror 
of a, a, a tyrant. It's the realization that God is good and right. And I'm wrong. But it's not just the mental. It starts to get deep. And here's what is the energizer bunny of motivation. It's the thing that will carry you through the pathway of healing and freedom. It's called the fear of the Lord. And this is what it is. When you realize you hurt God's heart. See, if you're an addict, you're hurting somebody. And yeah, there is danger. But that's not what really matters. And that's not what really got David, is it? David says, against you and you only have I sinned. See, if you don't care that you broke God's heart, if you don't care that you have wronged God's standards, then you're not going to get free. Repentance is when, you, when you're going to do it for God, for you and Him, to honor Him and glorify Him and to bless His heart because He's good and loving. That's called the fear of the Lord. That is the only true motivator and the only thing that has the energy and the power to carry you from the addiction, the bondage, and all the way to freedom. Because, see, if it's just consequence, oh, man, when the temptation comes on, let me tell you something, the temptation is stronger than your fear of consequences. And when temptation comes on you and, you, and, 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 and like you're feeling that emptiness, like I said, somebody gets mad at you and now I've got to go cope, I've got to go medicate the pain, your need for that medication is going to be stronger than your value of any person in your life. That is why addicts will do mean things to people and not even realize. They're just compartmentalizing. Just put it over here. Right? They're good Christian people, and then over here they're doing like crazy stuff. The only thing that's going to motivate you and carry you through is when you're all alone and you have that deep wound in your heart. And it's not just, I'm not going to sin because God. No, it's, I need you to satisfy me. I need you to be my drug. I need your pleasure. I need God. I need you to show me where I believe lies and tell me about your love. It means that I'm going to confess my sin to other people and get it into the light. Why? Because God needs me to do that. Because God has told me to do that. And what happens, we begin to shift outside of doing it my way for me. See? And we begin to do it God's way for God. Because the problem, the reason why you're in the mess is because you did it your way for you. And now you're going to shift and start doing it His way for Him. It's the only way. This is true repentance. And then finally, volitional, because you've got to bear fruit unto repentance. Or bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And simply this means that if you truly have repented, you will grow. There will be fruit. And you will be free. How do you know that Saul didn't repent, Dave? Because he ended up turning more to jealousy, more to anger, more to violence, and finally giving himself to witchcraft. And how do you know that David repented? You can see the blessing in his life. There was consequences, but you can see his heart turn back to God. It's in the fruit. Let me just conclude with this. This goes against the grain of everything we believe as Americans. This goes against the grain of everything in our sinful humanity. See, we value privacy, anonymity. And yet God says, you're going to have to get vulnerable. You're going to have to trust me and open your heart to me and to others. We value compartmentalizing. We like to think that my life is in these nice little compartments. And Jesus says, if I'm not Lord of all, I'm not Lord at all. See, we're not just talking about, you know, we're talking about in the midst of the hardest time of your life, in the midst of the temptation, is he Lord? 
Right then, right there. See, we value being a self-made man. I'm doing my own strength. I can do it. I can say no to this thing. And you're trying to do it in your own strength is actually the very thing that's killing you. It's strangling you. You're going to need Jesus' power, His love, and you're going to need other people. We value paying it back, don't we? We, washing, we were washing cars this weekend for free, and uh, i got to pay you, right? i got to give you a tip. No, 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 it's for free, really. We hate that as Americans. i got to pay you back. You can't pay Jesus back. The grace of God just goes, uh, rubs us the wrong way. And see, if you're going to walk on the path of healing, you're going to have to just go against the grain of everything you feel. Because the next time you just, oh, I just need to cope. You've got to go against that grain. Get into the open. Get vulnerable with God and others. Start confessing it. You've got to get out into the open. We distrust authority. We devalue submission to authority. We laugh at the idea of submission. And God says, you're going to have to humble yourself to, to the Lordship, my Lordship, and you're going to have to trust people to give you wisdom and correction in your life. We hate that. I'm going to do it my way. All right, I'm going to get free my way. Well, that's what you're going to do. You're going to get bound more your way. We value re- independence and rebellion. We love it. And Jesus says, no, you're going to have to become interdependent with me and with others. This goes against the grain of everything we believe. But here's the deal. It's the key to victory, isn't it? It's the key to victory. Let's stand and pray.